I'm Hannah Smiley from WA. When I'm in Melbourne, I listen to 3CR 855 AM Community Radio. You can listen on your digital radio or stream it live and subscribe at 3cr.org.au. Welcome to another edition of Communication Mixdown. I'm John Langer. Well, how diverse is Australia really? If you listen to the politicians, you'll hear over and over that Australia is the most successful multicultural country on the globe. But if you turn your lens slightly, you might get a different answer. And that's exactly what Antoinette Latouf did about two and a half years ago. Antoinette is currently a senior reporter at Network 10, But her career spans SBS, ABC News and Current Affairs, as well as stints in radio broadcasting. When she took a good hard look at the media industry landscape in Australia, cultural diversity and inclusiveness is not what she saw. So she decided to set up a nationwide not-for-profit organization run by and for journalists and communication professionals called Media Diversity Australia. In this pre-recorded interview I did with Antoinette Latouf, Last week, she explains how and where it all started. When you first got underway, what was the thinking behind Media Diversity Australia and what was the purpose of the initiative at that time? It was essentially born out of a frustration of uh, breakfast television. So it essentially started one day, or my light bulb moment, I call it. I was at my local gym and in the cardio section where all the bikes and treadmills are, there's a bank of television screens one after the other. And they had all of the you know, free-to-air Australian morning programs on. And as I looked at the television screens and then I looked around at the gym around me, and I just thought this is so frustrating because I'm not reflected on there. The people in this gym are not reflected on there. It is, it's, it's so unrepresentative of Australia's broader population. And that was kind of the, the moment that I thought something has to change. Um, and of course, the work we're doing isn't, you know, an attack on breakfast television. It, it, that was just, you know, an example or a very visual reminder of the problem we have uh, in terms of the lack of diversity. 
in mainstream media, but we knew that the problem is much more ingrained in that it's not only the people that you see, the presenters, because as we know that they're only you know a, a very small minority of the broader media population, but it's also the stories that are told, the perspectives that are shared, and the way stories are selected and portrayed to to Australian audiences, and that really that really impacts um, a democracy. It really impacts social cohesion. It really impacts the way we as a nation have uh, you know public debates and discussions about issues affecting you know multicultural Australia. Um, so that so we formed about two and a half years ago. Um, but yeah, that was I always refer to as my light bulb gym moment. Mm. <laughs> gyms, gyms are a good place to have those light bulb moments. I can tell you. Now, I want to get down to some specifics, and this is really where I met you at the Media Diversity Australia Forum that was held in Melbourne, and you held a bunch of forums around the country, including yeah. in Sydney and Brisbane. And I just wanted you to tell us a little bit about the forums. What, what, what were you setting out to accomplish in them? Essentially, it was a bit of a listening tour. We, um, based on our committee, we have our experiences um, and opinions. We also have a fantastic board that includes people like, you know, Waleed Ali and Tim Sukpomasan, the former race discrimination commissioner, and Stan Grant, and a host of other, um, you know, really interesting and accomplished um, individuals across media, public sector, and law. But we wanted to ensure that we kind of had our finger on the pulse in terms of what journalists who either had a diverse background or have an interest in diversity, what they were sensing and feeling um, day-to-day in newsrooms. And so we essentially set these out as an opportunity to hear their thoughts, aspirations, frustrations, but also provide a safe space where they could talk and vent and um, mm-hmm. everything was, as you would know, because you were there, everything was off the record. Um, and it also uh, served as a bit of a networking um, initiative for people to meet other like-minded people. And, you know, what we've taken away from our Brisbane workshops is now we're establishing a Queensland committee. People in Brisbane were like, oh, we're just so happy to know that we're not alone in our thinking and we're not isolated and that we're a bit we're stronger together. Um, so that's, yeah, so it served a kind of a dual purpose to help inform mm-hmm. us and take that back to our board and inform our projects, but also to provide an opportunity to form those relationships and um, hopefully in the end start um, local committees in, in different parts of Australia. Yes, yet you were talking in Melbourne about setting up a particular committee in Melbourne as well. Yes, and that has had, you know, we've, we've had at least five people say, "Yep, sign me up. I'm certainly keen." Um, we'll be back in we'll be back in Melbourne later this year to hold a, a networking event with mainstream uh, media journos, but also community and ethnic media journos. What we try, one of the things we're trying to do, particularly this year, is strengthen relationships between community and mm. ethnic broadcasters and mainstream newsrooms, both to provide a gateway for journos who are interested in pursuing a mainstream. Uh, broadcast or journalism career, but also to perhaps foster relationships that could lead to co-investigations or, you know, a community or an ethnic outlets working with mainstream outlets um, to cover a story together, because we know that uh, the industry is facing a crisis of sorts in, in terms of resources and ability to access stories on the ground and those difficult communities. Um, and so hopefully with some trust building and with some projects mm-hmm. in place, we can start to see more where um, organisations, media outlets work together to cover particular stories or particular projects. Is, is it possible for you to pinpoint a couple of the key issues 
that have kept coming up in these forums over the over the time that you've been with them in yeah, terms I'm, of in terms of participants' experience and about diversity or in fact lack of diversity in media environments and give us a couple of actual examples. Yeah, absolutely. You probably would have heard in the Melbourne workshops one of the things we um one of the frustrations we heard from both, you know, Sudanese um journalists and also Indonesian and Chinese journalists was the frustration at the story selection and the stereotypical narratives when it comes to um, stories from their communities. So, for example, one of the Chinese reporters said um, that he was frustrated the only time his services were engaged were to ask about baby formula stories or stories about the property market. Um, and he felt that, yes, while they're relevant and important, that that's only kind of a tiny, you know, they only go a small way in, in covering such an, a huge country, an important trade partner. And, you know, given the large Chinese-Australian population we have, that he felt really frustrated that they were the sorts of stories that were continually told. Similarly, for some of the, the up-and-coming Sudanese broadcasters, they were frustrated that um, there was quite a level of distrust when it came to how their communities would be portrayed or how their contacts would be used in stories. And it is difficult for, for, an, you know, for a young person to navigate, you know, how do I stay true to myself and maintain my community relationships? But then how do I also navigate the professional field of journalism where I need to be objective and let the story, you know, speak for itself? And I, and I think uh, two things that come away, from, uh, that we took away from that is that story selection and often editors who approve stories um, in those in positions of power are not diverse, so they they bring a, a very limited lens to what they think audiences want. But similarly, there's a, a difficult role that young journos who have close community ties, the enormous pressure they feel to both, I guess, act as a bit of a PR agent for their communities, but then also fulfil the role of an independent an objective journalist, and that can be really difficult for a young, inexperienced mm. journalist to navigate. Look, can, is it okay if I dig dig a little bit deeper into the forum? Because I, I did attend it, and there were some really interesting issues that came out of it, and I think you, your Media Diversity Australia is obviously trying to deal with this. One of the things that I heard about, for example, was the difficulty or the uh, problem that audiences have in the acceptance of diverse accents and, uh, and from multicultural communities. Could you talk about that? Yeah, that's certainly something that um, has uh, been raised a few times that you're never considered for a broadcast role if you don't speak per- the perfect Queen's English, that, you know, Irish and Canadian and American accents might be accepted. Uh, but if you, you know, speak with an Indian accent or a Chinese accent, even if your English is, you know, quite strong, that you're just, those roles are just shut off. Um, from you, and now I've seen that in commercial news outlets where I've worked at, which is it's really frustrating. Where you know we might be interviewing or doing a vox pop with a witness on the street or something, and they you know just give one their one line account, and it's in perfect English, but because it's accented, all of a sudden there are subtitles um, attached to it, and it's uh, it's really quite patronising, and I think it really. Um, Assumes mm. our audiences um, don't understand or won't be open to to different accents, and uh, unless they are exposed to it, then we're we're essentially, you know, never trying anything um, or never never pushing those boundaries. And, and I understand that it is you know communication and clear, concise communication is part of journalism. But if it's just an accent, mm. you know, if, they, if they're commanded the English language is completely fine, and they're writing concisely and you know speaking with good pace and clarity, I don't think accents should 
limit them, but unfortunately, they unfortunately they they continue to. Mm. And I presume this is some of the things that you're trying to work with management uh, and and the uh, the people who are doing the editorial, this making the editorial decisions. Um, this is what you're trying to work with. Yeah, we don't um, at the moment. Uh, to be frank, we don't have any particular programs running on um, on accents and how to tackle that. Um, what we do have is a research project underway which looks at what culturally diverse audiences want and where they're going to get their news and current affairs from. So until we have those findings, they will help, I guess, inform us but also inform newsrooms that, hey, you know, if you're not providing the content that resonates with your audiences, and we know we know mm. that one in... Uh, was it 49% of Australians are either born overseas or have a parent born overseas. Here, here is where they're going to online and abroad to get their news from. That may help sway local news outlets to go, oh, well, you know, we're losing the eyes and ears of our audiences. Where are they going and why are they going there? Um, and if it so happens that our that our research shows that they're going to, uh, you know, uh, Al Jazeera English or other programs where they hear a range of accents and that may help us make a case for why local media outlets need to include those voices. Mm. Um, but yes, so we don't have anything in the, in the, in the short term um, to address accents in newsrooms. Very, but very, very interesting and also very important and also something that I've, I've experienced myself in watching programs, television programs, journalism programs, putting the captions or the subtitles down and you can perfectly understand what people are saying and yes. there are the subtitles and you're exactly. wondering why are they there anyway why are they there absolutely it's really patronizing and what that also would do is to uh, discourage people from um not only participating in a journalistic capacity but also participating from an expert point of view whether they be an indian background economist or a, mm. a vietnamese born lawyer or whatever it is we're often going to experts on a range of topics from, you know, law to health to politics, religion. Um, and what we often find is people go, oh, no, 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 but my English is not good, or no, 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 I wouldn't be considered to be on a panel program. So that reinforces that view of who is allowed to be given a platform and whose voices we accept. So we're also keen to get, I guess, a diversity of opinions when it comes to the people journalists turn to for expertise, because so often it's, you know, the middle-aged white man who... Mm you know, who speaks gospel about the economy or, you know, or household budgets or whatever the topic of the day might be. Um, and, you know, we're keen to um, encourage and train um, different people, not only to speak about their ethnic community, so it's not like we'd only engage an Arab person only to talk about Islam or talk about their community, but that Arab person may, you know, just also be a banker mm. who can talk about the Banking Royal Commission or who can talk about changes to uh, mortgage broker law. You're listening to a pre-recorded interview with Antoinette Latouf. She's a senior reporter at Network 10 and currently director and co-founder of Media Diversity Australia, a nationally based not-for-profit that provides support and opportunities for journalists and media professionals from diverse cultural and linguistic backgrounds. Kevin Hines Grow delivers gardening and nature-based programs to people of all ages and all abilities. Our programs provide great opportunities for positive personal development and well-being. The Kevin Hines Grow Autumn Fair and Open Day is on Saturday the 30th of March, 9am to 3pm at 39 Weatherby Road, Doncaster. Come along and stock up on plants at our community nursery or learn more about our programs. See you there. Kevin Hines Grow is a 3CR supporter.
Look, something else that came up in the forum, and I, I refer back to it just because I, you know, I, I was there. Uh, there was a lot of discussion about the the change that had to take place in relation to management in media organizations. That 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 was a that was a really important part of how the change to create diversity and inclusiveness could come about. Yeah, what we found was so. Um uh, often senior management, uh, you know, j- jumped on the diversity bandwagon and might be, you know, using all the buzzwords and saying they're a champion of, uh, of uh, a more representative workplace. But I guess the buck stops with executive producers, editors, the day-to-day middle management who allocate stories, who performance manage journos. They're the people that we're finding um, diverse journos often feel frustrated by pigeonholed and sometimes outright discriminated. So although an organisation on the veneer might be saying all the right thing, what we're finding is that it's not trickling down to those people in you know, kind of that, that middle layer who determine the stories and determine who gets to cover them and determine who gets a promotion. They're the ones that are still not necessarily um, on board, um, and that can be really discouraging both for diverse journos but also to get those stories, those different perspectives over the line. Something else that came up, it was a very interesting take on SBS because it was sort of put together as... Well, it was also it was a solution to diversity and inclusiveness, but it was also a problem. Tell us about yeah, that. Absolutely. Look, I started my career at SBS, and you know, um, have some fantastic colleagues that um, I'm still in touch with, or who have gone on to do fantastic things at other media outlets. And the fact that I knew SBS is a place that would hire someone like me is both part of the, I guess, the short-term solution but a longer-term problem. Uh, I feel that, and this is, again, just my opinion, not necessarily the opinion of the of Media Diversity Australia broadly, that by having SBS in the media landscape is almost a bit of a cop-out for other outlets, both in who they hire and the stories they cover. So often, you know, I've, I've pitched stories and I've been told, oh, that's an SBS-type story. Or I used to be a journalism lecturer at a... Um, the journalism school in Sydney, and um, ethnic journalists would often come to me and say, you know, I've been told by other lecturers or by my family that I would only ever get a job at SBS. And I think that can make the other media outlets quite lazy in going, well, this isn't our problem, this isn't our charter, that's what SBS has to do. Um, and I think that's really problematic because a media or media outlets, whether it's public broadcasting or commercial, should reflect and appeal to their audiences, which are increasingly diverse. And if you don't want to do it for a kind of a philosophical or moral point of view, you do it from a commercial viewpoint. If you want the eyes and ears of your audience, you need to appeal to them and engage them in a way that, you know, relates to their to their lives and their experiences. So I absolutely love it. You know, I love the opportunity SBS provided me, but I do think it's, it's a mm. bit of a problem in the broader media landscape because it's seen as... Um, a reason not to do a better job on the diversity front. There has been a lot of discussion about lately about something called unconscious bias. Mm. And it's not just related to media work, but it develops in all kinds of work situations, employment situations. But in a media context, how would it manifest itself? I can speak from personal experience. You know, I'm not. I'm, I'm a journalist and not a, an HR expert. Um, but in terms of the unconscious bias I've encountered, um, there've been there was two instances um, at the ABC at flagship current affairs programs. One where it was just assumed that I was, even though I'm a senior journalist, um, it was assumed I was the cadet. Um, there was a cadet. Uh, the ABC has 
push to hire more diverse and engage more diverse cadets. So the fact that I was attached to a current affairs, you know, um, a very reputable current affairs unit, it was just assumed, blindly assumed by the presenter that I must be there because I'm a cadet, not because I'm a senior journalist and I deserve to be there. This person uh, called me the cadet's name twice and once emailed me confusing the story I had covered. It wasn't actually my story, it was the story the cadet had covered. Her unconscious bias, I believe, assumed that to be a woman, to be a woman, a young woman of colour, that the only reason you would be at a reputable current affairs program was that if you were there as an entry-level journalist. Um, a couple of months later, I was working at another current affairs program, also at the ABC, where the camera operator assumed I was a work experience. Again, because there is a push by management to engage more diverse entry-level journos. So if a woman of colour who's young is attached to a, um, a credible current affairs program, then it was their, their bias assumed that it was because I was um, work experience. So that's incredibly discouraging and disparaging. And these two individuals, both intelligent, lovely people, I don't think they meant to cause me offence. I just think that they unconsciously assumed um, that a person of colour at the ABC is only there because they're a token hire or because they're very junior. Mm. Now, to quote uh, something that might be called your mission statement, and this is on your website, one of the aims of Media Diversity Australia is to work in collaboration with media outlets on policies and strategies. Now, how's this been going? And I'm thinking specifically about the guide for reporting on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and issues. You've put out a guide. Yes, we did. I guess uh, we wanted to ensure that we provided practical solutions um, and options that we don't just, we're not just, a, I guess, a, a social media call-out organisation. We didn't want to, I, I guess you can refer to it as call-out culture where people just get angry and um, criticise. We wanted to work really collaborative with media outlets. Also, all of our committee are journalists gainfully employed in the industry, so we wanted to ensure we strengthened those relationships and provided good career paths for our committee rather than just get everybody offside. It's one of the things we came up with last year uh, was an Indigenous reporting handbook to help guide media outlets how to cover... Um, stories involving Indigenous individuals or the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community more broadly. So this, again, understanding the the, the workings of a busy newsroom that can often be time and resource poor, we put a two-page kind of checklist together as well as a, a more comprehensive 18-page guide. We did this in partnership with the National Congress for Australia's First People, and that's the peak body um, for Indigenous organisations and also uh, with support from the ABC. Um, so that's a, 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 a practical way to mm. help newsrooms. We've also been meeting with various outlets just um, uh, and helping them, giving them feedback and giving them ideas on uh, sometimes candidates for jobs um, or they come to us with, you know, uh, certain scenarios and we help guide them, whether that means putting mentors forward um, or, or pointing them in the direction of one of our board who can help. But a lot of those conversations and relationships are, you know, off the record and those meetings are held, um, you know, I guess behind closed doors. This is a, a little bit of a big picture issue. We hear lots about the traditional media, what sometimes called the heritage media, breaking up, fragmenting, audiences are fragmenting. Mm. Digital culture and online media are disrupting the old models of how things are done and how things can be done. In this sort of fragmentation, do you think there's a chance for cultural and linguistic diversity to grow in a different kind of media landscape? 
as in our outside of traditional mainstream mm. media. Mm. The difficulty in Australia, because because of our population, um, uh, if, sorry, let me let me rephrase that. In the United States, we have seen examples because uh, of much more niche media outlets that appeal to or cater to certain communities. Um, we, I don't think in Australia that our media landscape is quite big enough, mm. you know, to, to introduce too, mo- too many more players. But having said that, you know, in, in the digital era, we've had, you know, The Guardian um, and, and various other websites. I mean, BuzzFeed's not a good example because it's come and gone. Um, mm. But we have, we, we have seen other players, you know, rising and, and catching the ears and eyes. Uh, so, but, you know, potentially with the right, you know, resourcing and funding that, that is possible, particularly if they're providing content and a platform that the other outlets aren't. And that can only be good for Australian media because any more, any more voices, diversity in terms of um, outlets, will increase competition and that will force some of those, um, as you say, traditional media who might be a bit stuck in their ways to go, hey, we have to change. You know, the way we are operating isn't sustainable and our audiences aren't interested. Let me finally put another big question to you, and uh, this is, I have to ask this. Since you've set up Media Diversity Australia, do you think the situation in media terms in relation to inclusiveness and diversity and multiculturalism, do you think it's improved or gone backwards or stayed more or less the same? And the reason I'm asking that question is, as you probably know why I'm asking the question, because lots of commentators and social observers are saying Australia has become much more polarized, more yeah. fractious and much less tolerant to di- to difference. Um, I guess there's two answers to that. In our experience, you know, we have seen um, positive change, incremental but positive change. We know that the work we're going to do is probably, you know, a ten year project until we see substantial change. Uh, we mirror kind of our operations or our uh, our mission to the women in media and they've been around for about I think about 12 years and in that time they've certainly helped shift the media landscape but it took you know it took a good a good part of a decade conversely so what social media is doing it is polarizing people um, and there's a really good study out of Harvard University that came out last month which found you know that there was a cohort of people they studied and they were off social media for a month what that did to them was yes they were less informed because over 60 percent of you know Aussies and I think it's similar in the United States to get their news and current affairs from social media um they were less informed but they were less polarized because we know that Facebook is often an echo chamber which sends you the you know the same articles and views that you already have Mm. um so, on the one hand, so you know, social media uptake and the way Facebook and social media algorithms work are out of our control. Um, but on the inside, in terms of news organisation hires, we have seen um, a move for outlets that would never have considered diverse Australians in prominent roles are actually coming to us and we're helping them hire those mm. people. Hmm. So yes and no to that question. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a, that's a watch this space uh, yes, question, definitely. I guess. And I want to wish you all the best in the, in the future with Media Diversity Australia. And uh, thank you very much for being on Communication Mixdown. Thanks for having me. 
You've been listening to a pre-recorded interview with Antoinette Latouf. She's a senior reporter at Network 10 and the director and co-founder of Media Diversity Australia, a nationally-based not-for-profit that provides support and opportunities for journalists and media professionals from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. That's all from Communication Mixdown this week. The podcast of the show will be up on the 3CR Communication Mixdown website. We're here again next Monday. Let's go out with Solomon Burke and a track that in lots of ways is talking about the politics of inclusiveness. I'm Tara Sultana, and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe. Do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much.